You may be seated. And uh, children up to the age of three can go to the back at this time. I want to start off just by going to the text and, and reading it first. And then I have some things that I, I want to say to the church before I actually start my sermon. Um, our passage today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you notice, we are breaking from uh, the Gospel of John today. And uh, I want to bring you the word from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 9 is the verse that we're going to focus on um, most of this time. Well, let's just say verse 9 is, is, the, uh, is what the sermon is written around. But uh, for context and for us to understand verse 9 as we should, I want to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 10. It says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except on my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing, and the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is the word of the Lord. So, first of all, I wanted to say to the church, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for everything that you have uh, done for me and my family, I have uh, I have been truly humbled by your love and by your support. Um, even people who I haven't talked to in a very long time, outside of our own fellowship here, reached out, um, prayed for me, and us um, helped us monetarily. helped my wife when she was struggling at home. There's so many people that, that just did wonderful and godly things. And uh, we all appreciate it from the bottom of our heart. We saw Christ in y'all, and y'all ministered to us 
and it was a true blessing. And I know that the prayers continue now, and your prayers are what have me up here, able to uh, bring the word to you today. So I did want to say that first and foremost, in that that there's there's no way for us to ever repay anybody. We're just thankful that God uh, worked through you and that you were obedient to God in serving our family. We're ever grateful for that. This verse is very fitting for today, and I picked it on purpose. I wanted to share with the church uh, what I learned through my struggle in, in, in fighting COVID and being in the hospital and uh, just, just everything that went on with my family and everything. I figured that it would be best for me to come back and start with this and help the church benefit from what we've been through. And right now, today, I am the epitome of this verse. Uh, physically, I'm, I'm, I'm weaker than um, I've, I've ever been, but actually, I shouldn't say that. I've been getting stronger, but just physically, I'm, I'm weak. Um, I'm a little dehydrated this morning, and you can probably hear my breathing. I have to keep it in rhythm or else I start coughing and or I sound like I'm hyperventilating. I'm trying not to do that because I don't want to scare anybody here. I am fine. I am fine. Uh, but this is just part of the recovery. Uh, this may take three months. It may take up to a year to get uh, everything back uh, with with the degree of illness that I had. Uh, so physically, you know, I don't feel the same way. Um, emotionally, I've been a big crybaby ever since I've I've gotten home. Uh, you know, uh, Sister Lupita, Sister uh, Ida, and, and Brother Johnny went over one day just to drop off food, and I saw them, and I started crying. Uh, I was watching them from my office, and it just moved me that, you know, to be able to see a church family. Uh, you know, when talking to people, uh, I, I, I cried a drop of a hat. That's why I brought the Kleenexes over here. For me, that's really different, because beforehand, uh, I was I, I bottle I was one who who tried to bottle things up, try to gain control of emotions, and God has really humbled me in that area, uh, to where I'm emotionally right now. Uh, sometimes I'm a mess, but I'm more sensitive than I used to be. But you know what? Spiritually, even though I'm suffering physically and emotionally, spiritually, I don't think I've ever been better. I really don't. What God has done uh, for me and through me during this time, it's wonderful how it works. Where you can be down physically, you can be down emotionally, but spiritually you're on a, on a, different, uh, on a different level than you've ever been, and I'm thankful for that. So, yeah, this verse, I'm the epitome of this verse right now, especially when we talk about verse 10, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I've learned a lot about relying on the Lord and I learned a lot about his providence, his sovereignty. I learned a lot about just uh, who I am and who the Lord is. And so it's my intention today to give to you hope in the midst of your suffering. One thing I want everyone to realize is that, you know, I'm not the only one suffering in this world. Um, we all suffer. We all suffer and we all suffer because of sin. And sometimes suffering leads leads to despair and when I speak of despair I speak of of feeling a complete loss um, like when someone 
you love passes away. You feel like a complete loss. You're never going to see that person physically again. Uh, you know, I've been praying for Hopi and Esther and the loss of their father, Santiago. That's difficult. You know, he just moved down here. Uh, he just started living in this area. They were excited about having their father with them. Uh, yeah, he was 98 years old, but he was vibrant, full of life, you know, and uh, he got sick and he just continued to go downhill, downhill and downhill. I bet they're feeling a complete loss. They're feeling despair. Uh, these last several days, what we've been through, everybody has felt despair at one point or another. I know we've all experienced power failure and we've all experienced uh, the lack of clean water. And yeah, third world countries might look at us and say, well, that's a first world country problem, you know, because we live with that every single day. Fact is, it's out of the norm for us, right? It's out of the norm. That's not our everyday lifestyle at this point. So everybody was feeling some sort of despair this whole time. If you lost power, if you lost water, if, if, if for some reason or another, you know, you lost your job during this time, if you were fighting an illness, if you lost a loved one, if, if you were just fighting depression, you see, all these things are suffering. All these things are suffering. And, and, and if we're not careful, these things begin to pile up and we just go to despair. Well, in Christ, in Christ, we, we have hope, right? So if despair, if despair is complete loss and without hope, then obviously hope is the opposite of that. It is the complete opposite of despair. And it's, the, it's this hope that God gives us that helps us to get through life. Now, what I'm about to share with you is some of the things I've learned through my own trials. And I want to I share it with the people I love. I want to share it with the people I care about. Because if this can benefit you in any way, I'll praise God for that. So I pray that God gives you understanding. When we look at our verse, it's, it's kind of a, first of all, this passage, uh, it's, it's a dear passage to me because this is one of the first sermons that I ever preached. The very first sermon so many years ago, it was in 2001, I preached uh, on the wall of Jericho. And then I think this was like my second sermon. I was serving in a uh, very small church in Ganado, Texas called Living Water Baptist Church. My father-in-law was the pastor there and I would help him. That's how I started preaching. I would help him preach uh, on some Sundays that he had to work. There was about five to six people there every single Sunday. And uh, this sermon here, uh, was one of them that I preached way back then. And uh, I didn't even look for the sermon. I, I keep all my sermons that I write. I didn't even look for it. I knew it would be useless to me today. Uh, but I just, I, this passage is very near and dear to my heart. But what's very peculiar about this passage is what Paul is writing down and what he's talking about. Um, Paul is actually boasting. He's boasting. And uh, there's a purpose to his boasting. See, if you back up to, back up to uh, chapter 10, Paul begins to defend his ministry uh, there with the church in Corinth. And chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13 are dedicated to Paul defending his ministry and, and defending uh, his position as an apostle there within the church. And he's combating these false apostles who have infiltrated the church. And, and they are doing some serious damage. If you ever go back and read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 
They're not good letters to the church. They're not good letters at all. It's not like Ephesians where Paul is commending the church and, and, and he's saying how healthy they are and, and he's telling them to keep on. That's not, that's not the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth had some serious issues. And one of the issues is that they had these, these uh, false prophets or false apostles, rather, who had infiltrated the church and they were causing division. And how do you cause division in the church? Well, number one, when you're an apostle, when you're a teacher, when you're a leader in the church, and first of all, you're not a Christian, right? That's going to cause immediate division within the church, and that's what was happening here. Their doctrine was causing division. They had a doctrine of pride. They wanted people to follow them. And so his method of combating uh, them, the, these uh, false apostle, apostles, were to put himself and his God-given authority against their own. And that's what we see here. And that's why Paul is talking about himself the way he's talking about himself. Uh, he is boasting in the Lord. And it's funny because in uh, chapter 11, Paul calls these apostles super apostles. And, and he, he's not being kind when he says that. He's mocking them. You know, because they're, they're boasting about themselves. They're promoting themselves. They want people to serve them. That's what people do when they don't have the spirit of Christ. It's all selfishness, right? So they're all doing this stuff, and Paul, is, is, uh, is, he calls them super apostles, and he points out their sin in detail. Turn back with me to chapter 11. I want to read verses 12 through 15 for you. He says, And what I am doing, I will continue to do. He's, this is the boasting that he's talking about, the boasting in the Lord. And the reason why he's doing it is in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. He's basically saying, look, listen, I am going to boast in the Lord. Bear with me for a little bit. It's going to seem like I'm being self-centered, but I'm not. I'm going to show you the difference between what a real apostle looks like and does and one who is false. So that's what he's doing here. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising disguising themselves as, a, as an apostle of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's a harsh comparison. He basically is saying that they are sons of Satan. He's basically calling them false Christians. Not only false apostles, but false Christians. He says, so it is no surprise if his servants are also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. He says their end will correspond to their deeds. That's, that's Paul's harsh words against these uh, super apostles. So Paul boasts to the church about what God has done through him as compared to uh, the work these false apostles are doing. God is not in their ministry. God is not helping them. They're not there for the building up of the church they're there for the tearing down of the church. They're there to get every single benefit they can for themselves. And in the process, they don't care if they're going to divide the church or not. And this is Paul's concern for the church in Corinth. And he's telling them right now, this is the difference between a real apostle and a fake apostle. And you better learn the difference 
Otherwise, your fellowship is going to be destroyed. So this is very important that Paul goes on to explain what a true apostle looks like. Now, the crescendo of his boasting is our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There, Paul reveals that about him being called up to paradise. I've always found this passage fascinating. Uh, when Paul uses the word paradise, it's the same word used for the Garden of Eden. It, basically, what he's saying is, I've been called up to the dwelling place of God, where God has decided to dwell in his spirit, in his fullness. He says, I have been called up to Eden. I have been called up to paradise. And he says, I heard things uttered by God. I heard things uttered by God that no one, that basically I, no one can hear. I can't explain. Let's look at verses one through four. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. When he says there's nothing to be gained by it, he's talking about within himself. He's like, look, listen, I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm not, I'm not trying to be better than anybody else. He says, but I'm sharing this with you so that you can understand. You can understand the calling of a true apostle. He says, I know a man in Christ. He uses first person. Well, he's talking about himself. 14 years ago, I always find that interesting that he knew the how many years it was that this happened to him. Because believe me, when something like this happens to you, you don't forget it. 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Now, a lot of very smart theologians have looked at this, and they're pretty much all in agreement. The first heaven is heaven on earth. The second heaven is what we consider outer space. And then the third heaven is this dwelling place of God that is called paradise, that is called Eden. And this is where Paul was being called up to. And he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. How about that? Like, he doesn't know. All he knows is that somewhere, somehow, he existed in this, in, in this, in this uh, paradise, in this third heaven. And he says it twice. Man, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. I just know that I was there. I know I saw things. And I know I heard God. And that's what he is sharing with the people. Now, this is something that these super apostles, even their best brag, they can't claim this. And Paul setting himself apart from them. He setting himself apart, and, and as he goes to paradise, he says that he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, this is awesome because, you know, Paul kept this with him the rest of his life. No telling what God told him. But whatever it was, Paul says it's not for me to gain off of it. God told me this to tell me there was a specific purpose. But Paul is sure not to. He is he is for sure not gaining from what he experienced. See, the point of Paul's boasting was not really to show how great of an apostle he was. That's something that we have to really recognize, because whenever people boast, that's what they boast in. Right. You know, I mean, we, we do it all the time. We play around sometimes. I know teenagers do it a lot. They boast in themselves to try to give themselves more confidence. Well, this is not what Paul is doing. What he's doing is he is validating his call as an apostle. That's why he's boasting. He's showing the church the difference between himself and these super apostles. See, but Paul, in all this boasting in the Lord, he reveals something very important about despair and contentment. 
And this is what we benefit off of it. See, while these super apostles boast about their accomplishments and their strengths, Paul, he boasts in his weakness. And then also, he boasts in God's strength. That's the difference. Look at verses 7 through 9. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, you know, after going to the third heaven and seeing what he saw and hearing what he heard, he said to uh, keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So what's awesome about this whole thing is that Paul was called up to the third heaven. He saw things that that no one has seen. He heard things that no one has heard and returned back. What a privilege that would have been. We would have signed up for that in a moment, whether in the body or out of the body. It doesn't matter. We would have signed up for that. But along with this glorious revelation, there came a thorn on his side. A messenger of Satan to torment him. We, we're familiar with the word torment. It's, it's a word that we use with, with uh, the act of torture. To torment him. Not many of us would have signed up for that. So here we have this paradox where Paul, he has, he, has, he, has, uh, he has seen the heavens. He has heard God. That's probably the most glorious thing that's ever happened to him. But because he saw that, he has this thorn on his side to keep him from becoming conceited, to keep him humbled, to discipline him. Because Paul's just like us. We get overconfident. We get brave. We begin to rely on ourselves more than the Lord. And the Lord said to Paul, that's not going to happen to you. I may not have done this with, with uh, Peter, John, Andrew. I may have not done, done this with them. I, I chose to do this with you. But that doesn't mean you're better than them. And in order for you to realize that, I'm going to give you a thorn on your side. A messenger from Satan. So that you will suffer. That's 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 heavy. Really, really heavy. But this is where it becomes extremely helpful to us in learning how to use hope to deal with despair. As Paul writes this all down and he deals with this. I guarantee he was in despair sometimes. Yeah, even the Apostle Paul. He lacked hope. He lost hope. He needed the spirit of God to help him. He needed to rely on God. See, despair, what we have to realize about despair is that it is caused by sin, where hope is caused by God. And hope brings about peace. And it's a wonderful 
peace is a peace that goes beyond all understanding. Hope brings about the peace of God in your life. Now, using Paul as an example here, let me summarize what the text is saying here. Paul reveals that God has given him a thorn in his flesh. He says a messenger from Satan to harass him. The thorn in his flesh is a metaphor for some type of suffering. People have long debated what this suffering was. It, if, if it were uh, a physical ailment that he had, if it were uh, emotional problems, maybe he was depressed, uh, or if it were uh, he, was, he wasn't a strong speaker. In fact, he, he, he struggled with that, and the super apostles attacked that about him. They said he's strong and he's bold in his writing, but when he's before us, he's weak. He's gangly. He's not strong at all. He can barely put words together. See, no one knows exactly what it was. It could have been all of it because Paul suffered through all that stuff. But what it was was not important. The thing, though, that we know is that he suffered. And this illness or ailment itself caused great despair in his life. Listen, Paul's, you're no different than Paul. There are things that you have suffered here on this earth. Suffering is not new to anybody. It's been present since the garden and the fall in the garden. And it continues on every single day. As I look out here, I know y'all suffering. I'm one of your shepherds. I'm one of your pastors. I know that there have been people who have lost loved ones. I know that there are people who have fought through cancer and sickness. I know that there have been people who have lost everything and trying to gain it back. I know that there are people who are fighting depression right now. We have all suffered. And we will all continue to suffer. And I know, I know that there are marriages that are having problems. If not in the past, they're having problems right now. You're having issues with your kids. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. If I weren't suffering through this, I'd be suffering through something else. And see, it gets old sometimes. The loneliness, the hurt, the just, just trying to live every day, trying to figure things out, it gets old. And then despair comes. We lose hope. But if we are in Christ, we always have hope. See, I can't tell you not to lose hope. I can't tell you not to be in despair because that's impossible. That's impossible on this side of heaven. That's why we need God. If we didn't suffer despair, why would we call to God? See, it's extremely helpful for us to learn how to use hope to deal with despair. As I said before, despair is caused by sin, but hope is caused by God and it brings his peace. So Paul here is given this thorn in his flesh. We don't know what his illness is. And notice Paul pleaded with the Lord three times, three times. Man, that's a great lesson on prayer. 
All right, that's a great lesson on prayer. Some have the audacity to command God to do this and do that. That's not what scripture shows us about God and his sovereignty and when we approach him in prayer. Paul knew why he had what he had, and yet three times he pleaded with the Lord. Lord, please take this from me. Take it from me. And the Lord said, no. Uh-uh. How many of you have asked the Lord, Lord, can you take this from me? How many of you have asked the Lord, Lord, can you make this not hurt anymore? Can you make me numb at least while I'm suffering? Lord, can you make this end? And the Lord said, no. And yet here you stand. continue to serve him to trust in him that's hope that's a perfect picture of despair and hope Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to remove this thorn in the flesh but God did not instead God did something greater for Paul and he does the same for us instead God used this thorn to keep Paul from becoming conceited. <laughs> you ever think about that? The person you would be without your problems, without your suffering? You would be arrogant, prideful, self-centered. I mean, we have our sufferings and we still struggle with those things. suffering that we go through it has a purpose and it has a point God is using it for our discipline here, it is, here he is the great apostle Paul he was taken to paradise he heard things from God that could not be uttered but then on the flip side he was humbled by God through suffering why? to keep him from relying on himself and to keep him relying on God. The Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Listen, that verse is extremely important for us. When it says my grace, well, what is grace? Grace is receiving what we don't deserve, right? We all know that saying. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. In other words, Grace is God's goodwill towards us. You imagine that? His goodwill. We all have, we all have something uh, that wills us to do good. In, in our families, we don't want them to suffer. You know, we, we, we want good for them. We try to do everything we can for each other and, and our kids, even within our fellowship here. We want the best for each other. At least I hope we do. But our goodwill is tainted because of sin. But imagine, imagine God's goodwill. It's holy and it's pure. And that's what grace is. God's goodwill 
towards us. The Lord tells Paul, my goodwill is sufficient for you. In other words, what he's saying is my goodwill is enough for you. You know that word enough? I don't like it. I, I seriously don't. I don't like it. I have trouble with it. We all have trouble with that word enough. Imagine when, I mean, even now, what do you do when someone says that's enough? You're like, excuse me? Right? Because you are the one who you feel like I should be able to determine what's enough and what's not. Right? Kids don't like that word. When they're misbehaving, what do we parents tell them? That's enough. What does that mean? That better end right now. Or how about when you're enjoying something and you know, like let's, let's say your favorite pie, your favorite food, and you know you're being a glutton, but you're, you still want to eat more. And someone says, I think that's enough. That doesn't make you feel good, right? You're like, excuse me? Anytime someone tells us that's enough, we struggle with it because we're the ones, again, who determine, we feel like we should determine what's enough for us. We know better. So when God says, my grace is enough for you, we sometimes have a problem with that. Because you know why? It doesn't feel like enough sometimes. Going through this sickness I can tell you, there are times where I felt like, can you give me a little bit more grace, God? Because this is not enough. And some days his answer was no. What I've given you is enough. He continues on. He says, my goodwill towards you is enough for you, no matter what you suffer through. That's what verse 9 means. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, my goodwill towards you is enough. It's enough for you, no matter what you suffer through. For my power... What is God's power? It is the outworking of his spirit. For my power, the outworking of his spirit is made perfect in us through our weaknesses. In other words, his outworking of his spirit is accomplished in us through our weakness. I was looking at what Charles Hodge said about this passage, and I got a quote from him that was just magnificent. He said, weakness, in other words, says the Lord, is the condition of my manifesting my strength. The weaker my people are, the more conspicuous is my strength in sustaining them and delivering them. See, like Paul, we all suffer. And the purpose of our suffering is to keep us 
from being conceited about who we really are and to to keep us relying on God. And when we suffer and suffer and suffer, that leads to despair. But listen, we desperately, and, and, and I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here. This is one of the great lessons that I learned in my suffering. We desperately need to suffer. In fact, we don't know how much we need it. We desperately need it. We desperately need to be humbled by God. We desperately need not to be conceited. We desperately need to, be, to, re- to, to rely on him for everything. It's this like dichotomy that is that's hard to understand. We don't want to suffer, but we desperately need it. See, the only thing that gives us peace in that moment is that we suffer under the sovereignty of God. And no matter what we go through, God tells us, my grace is enough for you. Whatever you're going to go through in this life, whatever you've been through, what you're, being, what you're going through now, or whatever you will go through, his grace is enough for you. And his power is made perfect in weakness. So like Paul, yes, we all suffer to keep us from being conceited and we desperately need to suffer so that we don't lose our perspective of God. So we don't lose our reverence and our awe of God and that we don't lose the, our, our perspective that we should have on ourselves. We are the creature. He is the creator. I tell you, nine days struggling to breathe and at the same time, helplessly watching my wife deal with COVID at home. That was a humbling moment. But it helped me to see God. And it helped me to see all the idols that I've built up in my life. And I shouldn't say all of them because there's, there's plenty I probably did not see. but it it certainly cleansed me and gave me the opportunity to repent. In the midst of my despair, God gave me hope and that hope blossomed into peace. And from that peace, I gained understanding. And that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. See, for those who are in Christ, there's always hope. As Paul concluded his thoughts on suffering, it's so helpful because we learn so much about the benefit of hope and the peace that comes from God. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Look at verse 10. It's so good. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
I want you to take notice. This is, this is very, very important. And I don't want you to walk away with the wrong understanding. If there's anything that I want to make clear, it's this. God's goodwill towards you is not that you receive weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not God's goodwill towards you. That is the product of sin in the world. That is not God's fault. So when you are suffering through these things, weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, these aren't things that, 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 that God has just forcefully thrown into your life, and he's there just this angry God, and, and he is, he is uh, just punishing you. He's punishing you for all of your sin. See, that's what Christ is for. God already did that to his own son. He took out all his anger on Christ so that he would not take it out on you. So God's goodwill towards you are not these things. If that were true, then he would not be a loving God. God's goodwill towards you is the grace that you receive while you endure weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. That's his goodwill towards you. See, your life on this side of heaven will never be without two things. You will always have struggle, which will lead to despair, but you will also always have hope. You're going to walk out of here and trouble awaits you somewhere. There's no way to sugarcoat that. I'm sorry if I sound like Debbie Downer. But this is, this is the nature of this world. We have sinned against God. There are consequences for sin. And that consequence is that in this world you will have trouble. Tomorrow is not promised. But the only hope that you have is that you are in Christ. And in Christ, you have everything you need for life and godliness. The only hope that you have is that God is sovereign over your life and he has already made the claim that his grace is enough for you. And that his power is made perfect in weakness. That's all we have. So your life on this side of heaven will never be without despair. And if you are in Christ, it will never be without hope. Listen, if you don't have Christ, you have no hope. I, I was asked a couple of times, how do you think a person who was not a believer would have made it through what you've been through? I said they would have been angry, jaded, frustrated. It would have been very difficult for them. If you do not have Christ, you do not have hope. See, both of these have been here since the fall, and both will remain until the Lord returns. But listen to this. No matter how deep the despair is, hope is always greater. 
And with the wonderful hope that God brings, he brings this peace that you can't explain. I had a chance to talk to Pastor Laramie. Several mornings I bothered him. I was, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what time it was most of the time. I had a clock on the wall, but I was so confused. If you would have seen me, uh, I, I, I was suffering through hypoxia, which is the lack of oxygen in your blood. I was seeing things that, believe me, these things weren't spiritual, but my mind was confused and I was seeing, uh, I was seeing people, talking to people in my room. I was, in the middle of the night, I, I, I would talk all night to people I thought that were there. My mind was confused. If, if you would have walked in my room, you would have thought this was, I was in a, a sane asylum. I didn't know if things were coming or going. Every now and then, in the very beginning, I had good mornings, and it seemed like that's when I was able to talk with people. And I would bother Pastor Laramie. I would FaceTime him. One, one morning, I even watched him cook breakfast just so that I could see somebody else doing something. He made green waffles for his kids. I just know that in that time when I would call him, he was a great blessing to me. The rose switched. He became my pastor. He read to me, prayed with me, talked with me. And all of that God gave me hope. Started to receive messages from everybody saying they were praying for me. People started reaching out, helping our family. And all that gave me hope. And the despair that I had just started to melt away. And I was like, what is this? What is this peace that I have? I didn't know if I was going to make it or not at that point, but all I knew was that I still had this peace. It was awesome. It was the presence of Christ. Hope is always greater. I want to end with this. I want to give you some practical advice as well. Going through what I went through, here's, here are some things that I learned that were important to help me get through it. Number one, the despair was great. There were times where I did lose hope. The most important thing when that happens is that you cling to Christ. If you are ever in despair, cling to Christ. What does that mean? Cry out to him. Talk with him. Share your feelings with him. Rely on him. For the first time in my life, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but for the first time in my life, I felt like Christ was my best friend. There was... No one to talk to other than the nurses and the doctors coming in. 
And there was a lot of conversation with Christ all day long. As long as we are connected to the vine, we have life and we will bear fruit. Cling to Christ. Secondly, cling to prayer. No matter if God's telling you no, cling to prayer. No matter if it becomes old or it becomes routine, just pray. If you don't know what to say, just start talking. Cling to prayer. That helped me so much. Third, cling to his word. This is where Pastor Laramie came in. One morning he gave me a devotional. He just read me the Bible. I really couldn't read, so what I would do was, I would, in my phone calls with Pastor Laramie, Pastor Brady, he also, Brady, Pastor Brady from Puerto Vaca was sending me scripture, ministering to me. I enjoyed, I enjoyed their perspective. But since I couldn't read, I would just listen to the Bible for hours. Just sit there and listen to the Bible. It was so helpful. If you are in despair, cling to his word. Also, cling to his church. You are not alone. And what you are going through, you are not alone. And look, this is the hardest thing to do. Because sometimes when you cling to his church, when you cling to people, you have to deal with people. And not everybody's the same. Even if they mean well, not everybody's the same. But listen, we need each other. We need each other. That's one thing that I, I've really learned through all this. How much I need you guys. And then the last thing is, no matter how bad things get, cling to hope. Because the Bible says that hope does not disappoint us. We're not promised again. We're not promised not to suffer. We're not promised tomorrow. But what we are promised is that God's presence will always be with us. And that his hope will never disappoint us. No matter how bad things look, please believe that in Christ there's always hope. Let us pray. Oh, see, I'm already forgetting the order of our service. We need to come up here. They're gonna, the praise and worship team is going to come up here, and we're going to sing our song of prayer right now. This gives everyone an opportunity to just go to the Lord in prayer. Address what has been spoken to your heart. This is your opportunity to come to the Lord. If you want to come and kneel and pray up here by yourself, that's fine. If you want to pray at your seat, that's fine. If you just want to worship God while this song plays, that's great too. But let's spend this time in prayer.